0: Politics, philosophy, and science. You will be challenged. You will question everything you thought you believed. Prepare to teach. Be- jj how you doing this week
1: oh man it's been a wild week it has been what's a really going,
0: wild week what's going on in your world
1: oh i got a really really good friend in the hospital i got a really really important family member that's got covid and in the in the hot or not in the hospital because the hospital is completely full so they they sent my family member home with a pulse oximeter and instructions to come to the er if his their O2 level drops
0: below 70. What well, uh all right, back up. Um why isn't he in the hospital? Uh he
1: is lives in the region where the Delta variant of COVID is extraordinarily widespread.
0: Which which is
1: The Delta variant is the latest no, mutation no, I, of COVID.
0: i meant at where? <laughs> oh
1: uh, northern Arkansas, southern Missouri.
0: Oh, a red state. Very red. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Why your other friend is in the hospital? Um, because you're you're in, well, you're in Kansas, which is also a red state. But um, I I'm guess in your Missouri. Hospital's... and Missouri's oh, right. weird. You're on the mis- the Missouri side of right <laughs> the line. Um, yeah, I'm
1: I'm six miles away from the line.
0: Right. <sighs> Huh. So, man, so what's going on in Arkansas? Um, well, I haven't been keeping up, admittedly. I've kind of lost track of where, where the Delta variant is. Uh, the
1: Delta variant seemed to have developed in southern Missouri and has been spreading rapidly from there. Hmm. Let me see. A friend of mine shared a map. I'm going to pull it up here.
0: A map. A map. <laughs> because everybody can see on a podcast.
1: Well, it'll allow me to kind of... T- <laughs> I, I can use my words and not my gestures. True. How's,
0: how, how's he doing, by the way? Uh, Not like, good. He, yeah, that doesn't sound like it. Well, I shared it, but I don't
2: see it um, I'm not entirely sure where that map went. I bet Google can help
0: yeah i like I've Google been hearing cannot about help. oh <laughs> I've been hearing about the Delta variant, and honestly, like I've kind of. Like right now where I'm at in Ohio, life seems to be pretty normal. Um, only a few people are, you know, masking um, with with some good reasons. Some people, you know, have uh, family members that are high risk or can't get vaccinated. And so they're being extra cautious. Um, I've talked to a few people that are, uh, you know, for whatever reason, not able to get vaccinated themselves. But for the most part, you know, everybody's... Uh, well, Everybody's either vaccinated or they don't care. Um, So life is kind of starting to return to normal. And I've been hearing about the Delta variant, but I've not really heard a whole lot about it other than it's out there.
2: Uh, Yeah, and um, it's apparently... uh, it looks
1: like, uh, according to Fortune from 23 hours ago, the Delta variant causes 83% of U.S. COVID cases right now. Mm. It is now the dominant variant in the United States. Vaccines are still effective against the variant. Although it's, they are seeing more breakthrough infections, people are still typically surviving them and not being hospital, hus- hospitalized hospitalized.
0: Which was what a lot of the vaccines claimed initially was, even if you did get sick, that it like drastically reduced hospitalizations. So um, that's good. I'm. A, I take it that he wasn't vaccinated.
1: Um,
0: it, divulging information like that would actually yeah.
1: <laughs> be uh, inappropriate. But I think it's safe to say that it would be wisdom for anyone that's still unsure about vaccine efficacy to go ahead and take that risk. We've right. th- vaccines have been applied for a significant amount of time at this point, and their safety is very well established. Um, right. I mean, there's always the little hidey holes that people find. Like, uh, there are, you know, there are stories of drugs that caused apparently no issues for years, and then several years later, you'll see that, you know, you'll be w- up watching TV, or I guess it's not a thing anymore, but I remember as a kid up watching TV late Netflix. at night and seeing a commercial, and the commercial was, did you take bloody blah oh. If you took blah blah between the years of 1981 and 1985, you may be entitled to compensation.
0: Right. The class action lawsuits. And I remember those.
1: You know, that makes me wonder how those, like, were those commercials serving the same kind of function as social
2: media is now? What do you mean? Um... Like, that's the fallout of those commercials.
1: I remember those commercials. And other people are going to remember those commercials. And that's going to increase vaccine hesitancy. It increases the fear of the established science. Not with, I guess, necessarily without reason. But, you know, like we talk about making decisions based on likelihoods. Well, that is the kind of thing, like, if it's true that there is a non-zero number of drugs that pose risks that aren't evident until years later, that moves that needle, even if it's ever so slightly,
2: in the direction of you should not take risks on new medications.
0: Right. Which, like generally, I don't really have... A huge problem with people wanting to, you know, kind of let a medication establish for a while before they maybe, you know, like not wanting to jump on like an experimental phase of something, um, just because they're they're nervous about it. Which I can't really blame people for that, uh, generally. But it all kind of depends on your circumstances too, right? Like if you had, you know, like a terminal disease and there's an experimental. Like, let's say you've got cancer and there's an experimental new treatment um, that, you know, shows initially um, really, really good outcomes. And there, you know, initially aren't any, you know, big negative detriments to it. Um, like, at that point, you know, you really don't have a lot to lose. Now, I get, you know, that COVID isn't necessarily like terminal cancer. You're not necessarily going to die. Some will. Not everybody, um right,
1: it's just but, ten times worse than the flu,
0: yeah, <laughs> right, right, I mean it, and I mean, I've seen a lot of people who have lost people that they knew to it yeah, I, I've which, lost
1: people that I've known, right, uh, so far, my count is currently two people that I've personally known that have died from covid,
0: right. I guess it's just a matter of like risk evaluation, and I don't think that's something that humans are particularly good at, myself included.
1: yeah well, it, it's hard to be good at it.
0: I mean, there have been plenty of things that I've been afraid of doing that had a far less significant risk than what I do the majority of every day that I'm alive, which is driving around. um, and yet. I'm not the slightest bit afraid of driving and I'm afraid of, you know, other things. Right. I'm scared to
1: death of mowing my friend's lawn because last year I was mowing the lawn and I got stung by a, a a yellow jacket. (laughs) And now it's just like the thought of mowing that lawn terrifies me, (laughs) but I have a chance of dying every time I get into a car. Right. Right. Like, and really, uh, that the, yellow jacket stain, it hurt, but, you know, yeah. I got over it. I got better.
0: <laughs> I mean, I've I've been at the top of a telephone pole, strapped in, and opened up a, a terminal, and there they come out, you know, just a bunch of wasps or hornets or something, and then there you are. You're strapped in, and you're stuck there with them. Um, <laughs> it's Boo. usually k- kind of hard to get down, you know, without at least a few stings. Um those don't usually scare me too bad, but then, you know, there's other things that I've I've been I'm, – I'm irrationally afraid of tight spaces, um, even just like tight clothes. Like I can barely wear a suit before I start to panic just because if I start getting hot, you know, there's so many layers I can't get it off of me, um, especially when I'm driving. Like I'm driving and I start getting hot and I panic because I'm uncomfortable and not for the fact that I'm, you know, driving – mere feet from people going 60 miles an hour in the opposite direction probably on their phones on facebook yeah so i mean i'm admittedly really bad at evaluating risk for myself
1: you know i think a lot of risk evaluation well i don't know i'm not an expert i don't want to, to pontificate so let me like i suspect that a great deal of risk evaluation is related to the risks that are socially normalized. Yeah, like it is not. It is socially normalized that driving is not risky.
2: Yeah, because we all do it every day.
1: And it is socially normalized that you know strange, ter- terrific ways of dying are terrifying. Like people are terrified of sharks.
0: <laughs> That's true and i mean people if i saw a shark i'd be terrified steaks. yeah i i grew up on a farm so that one's not as bad for me
2: right um yeah i know a but...
0: lot of people who are terrified of flying even though I, I, and i looked up the statistics on that one time and like the statistics of dying in a car accident were like one in the thousands i don't remember the number now i want to say like 4 to 8000 or something like that but then like for flying, it was like one in 11 million or some astro- astronomical number. And yet people will happily drive right to the airport, get on, and then panic once they're on the safe part of their trip. Actually, uh, are you checking my numbers?
1: Yeah, because I know you're right.
0: Yeah, I don't remember what those numbers were. It's been years since I looked that up.
1: Uh, there is 11 deaths... Per 100,000 people in the United States. Okay. I think that was the United States. I just hit backspace, but yeah. And then.
2: Okay. Okay. That kind of sounds about right. And then. The fatal accident rate in general aviation
1: is 1.029 accidents per. Oh, that's the t- hundred thousand flight hours. That does That's not what I want. <laughs> Number of people
2: That died in air crashes u s uh let's see four hundred fifty two in 2019
1: All but eight. so eight people died from being hit by the plane when it came out of the sky. the Oh, wow. The other 444 were on board. Right. Uh, number of airline passengers per year. Uh, let's see. It was 4.3 billion in 2018. Chain. So 4.3 billion divided by 444 wide. Yeah. That's almost one in a million.
0: Okay, I so guess it wasn't eleven million then, but still that's that's a pretty big number comparatively to driving four, four. Uh, that's
1: gonna bug me. Come on, calculator
2: <laughs> zero divided by Oh it is it's a nine point eight okay per million people. And then, so that
1: is for car crashes. That'd be a hundred and ten per million people. So yeah, that's about a tenfold difference in, in, in where you're likely to die in a car crash.
0: About the same ratio that COVID is to the flu. Yeah. Comparatively,
1: I, I wonder if it's just all one big web. Where's Eli? <laughs> like? It's right up his alley.
0: Yeah, it is. And he's—I don't know where he's at today busy as usual. So well, we did yeah. kind of
1: just sneak on here. So
0: Wow, that, that, okay, that actually kind of puts it in perspective for me because, you know, my personal experience driving for however many decades I've been driving and all the, you know, I've traveled all over the country for work, driving, you know, utility trucks. I've witnessed multiple deaths on the road, seen a bunch of serious accidents and a lot of very, you know, near serious accidents. And I've also flown a decent amount for my job. And, like, that is just, like, so much more stress-free in comparison. Like, there's just so fewer incidents that, you know, in my mind, that is absolutely the safest way to travel. And so that comparison, you know, the 10 times the risk. Um, if you take the, you know, the the stress of of the flu for however many people die of that and— multiply that tenfold that's uh i mean that's significant
1: so we were talking about you know oh zoom in come on little map you can do it <laughs> there we go car deaths were 11 per one hundred thousand- mm-hmm. in the united states covid deaths are 185.8 per one hundred thousand.
0: whoa so yeah you're like whoa, whoa wait wait say that number again those those two numbers
1: Hundred and eighty-five thousand, or hundred and eighty-five per one hundred thousand. Okay. And cars. So you you are seventeen times more likely to die from COVID than you are in a car wreck.
0: I did not know that.
1: According wow. to John Hopkins and that other, the, the number I get off Google for car wrecks.
0: That that actually is significant because, like, we all get told regularly, especially like in my job where I drive for work all day. You know, the single most dangerous thing that we do every day is drive. So, not not this year. Yeah,
1: that's that's actually really crazy. This year, it's not getting a vaccine. Yeah, <laughs> no shit. Wow. Like that is a common. Like, what is it? I think 40-some people, 40-some percent of Americans are not vaccinated.
0: Like, I used to have a friend back when I was a kid whose family, like, for a little while, didn't wear seatbelts because they saw this thing on the news where some person got, like, cut in half from a, you know, like a a waist seatbelt or some crazy thing that happened in an accident. So, like, they stopped wearing seatbelts because they didn't want to get cut in half. Um, Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I have, I lived with a guy that when he was a teenager and he was old when I lived him, he was like 45 when I was 20, yeah. but when he was a teenager, he was horseback riding out in the woods and came upon a car wreck and the seatbelt had cut the driver's head off. Wow.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's not a non-zero number. Some percentage of people die by car you know, seatbelt in a car right. accident, but they probably honestly would have died anyway. Um, from some other impact.
1: Especially in the 70s. Cars are just yeah. terrible. <laughs> true. That's true. As much as I hate fear-mongering, seatbelts are an excellent example of when fear-mongering was appropriate.
0: Because right.
1: it was Ralph Nader that started a fear campaign to get seatbelts put in cars, and it was perfectly justified.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've totaled a car. Um, yep, me too. And I, and I have no doubt in my mind that the seatbelt definitely did its job.
1: Yeah, airbag I came hurt. out with minor
0: injuries. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, what?
1: Airbag hurt. Yeah, I came out with just, you <laughs> know, bumps and scratches. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, airbags too. That's a, uh, those are a great invention.
1: I wasn't um, going terribly fast. It was like 25, 30 miles an hour. It was heavy
0: traffic. I was doing probably about 30, 40-ish and being... The stupid young person that I was with a Nissan 240SX, five-speed rear-wheel drive, balanced, very balanced car. I was on my way to go get new tires <laughs> right after it rained. And I thought, I'm just going to – I mean, these tires are done anyway. And I tried to peel out of a turn, uh, you know, drift <laughs> essentially. And uh, I drifted. And for a minute, it went fine and then it just kept going to the left and I was a left turn and like the whole time it was like wait it's not coming back it's not coming back and I'm waiting for it to come back and right down in the ditch and into a tree that'll
1: do it yep I'm lucky that I didn't die when I first started driving (laughs) I I lived out yeah I lived out in the country (laughs) me too and uh my grandfather shoot. had gotten me my first car it was a 1992 Dodge Shadow <laughs> <laughs> and it had been through the great flood of 1990 you could actually see inside the like the interior of the car like in the engine bay you could mm-hmm. see where the flood waters had come up to a certain level and rusted it Ooh. it was a good deal on the car though great learning car i'm Just sure Just the kind of car you want to blow up yeah and i blew that car up <laughs> Because I put oil in it one day and I forgot to put the oil cap back on. Oh, no. But every day between my high school and my home, it was 12 miles, three highways, and Mm. they were just dead empty all the time. Mm. And I typically drove 90 to 95 miles an hour every day. Yep. And that's
0: nuts. I I was stupid and had stupid friends um, when I was 16, 17 years old. Okay. When I was 16, I was still kind of a goody two shoes, but 17, 18, you know, I was getting pretty gutsy and we did stupid stuff driving around, you know, the neighborhood with no headlights on playing chicken, um, standing up in the back of a, my dad's pickup, you know, driving down the road at 80, 90 miles an hour. Um, I mean, just stupid, stupid stuff that like I honk at people for doing now when I see them, like it actually pisses me off that people are so reckless and I did that same shit when I was their age. <laughs> there are no choices. <laughs> <laughs> Teenagers are dumb. You know, I, I feel know like my I kids was. aren't
1: as dumb. My kids, at least, they're not as risky.
0: And I'll that go you know with that. Of. That I that know. You, well, it's true. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, everybody thought I was pretty responsible for my age. We did stupid stuff too.
1: I was just reckless waiting to happen when I was growing up.
0: Yeah, my, my risk evaluation skills at that age were phenomenally worse than they are now, and they're not good now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Truth hurts. Yeah. Huh.
0: That's, that is really interesting, though, about uh, the COVID risk compared to driving. That's, that's something I didn't actually know.
2: Yeah, that's it right now. It's not good. No, like technically, I guess
1: you have to factor in the odds of catching COVID.
0: Yeah, which so hang on, I can do that. I'm clever. Yeah, but you also have to factor in like actually driving, which arguably most people do, but some people might not. Right, and
1: some people don't. So, you Let's know, and talk- I, I, I imagine that uh, oh well i think that that's no that's that's 185 per 100,000 that's including the people that didn't catch covid like that's just a flat so yeah those are comparable statistics
2: okay huh wow that still just doesn't seem right you know and p- people wonder why there's a big job shortage yeah like, I get that people don't work in,
1: want to work in crappy jobs, and that's the, all the talk. But what I don't see a lot of is the fact that, you know, 600,000 people died in this country mm-hmm.
2: in the last 12 months. They're just not there to work anymore. Yeah, I mean,
0: that's true. Also, and I, 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 mean, I wonder what it, kind I'm of sure- factor that... I'm sure there's multiple factors there for you know companies not being able to find jobs, and I'm sure that, and I mean I hate to say it, but I'm sure that um, you know people getting uh, government assistance does contribute to some extent. Um, I know that at my job, you know we're hiring like crazy right now. For the first time in seven years, we're finally hiring. Um, I'm trying to hire like sixty-five guys, and I know one one thing that my boss has been a little irritated at has been, you know, a number of no shows where they put in the application and this never show up, which, um, back when I hired in, you know, he was the same hiring manager then, and they didn't have that as much at that time. Um, so he's been irritated, irritated about that. And of course he's all over it. Cause he is a, uh, he's a conservative. So that is, of course, his spin. Ah, it's the government. And, you should blame politics.
2: And but, it, uh, it's,
0: it's always many things. I'm sure it's, a, it's definitely a contributing factor, but um, there's a lot of factors. It's not just any one single thing.
1: Yeah. But missing 600,000 people is...
0: That is a thing.
1: That is a thing.
0: Although, I mean, a percentage most, of those were older. Yeah. In fact, most of them. Right. So, I mean, there's that.
1: Yeah. It's not the biggest thing. Right. I don't want to like, really give it more,
0: more weight than it is, but... Yeah. I mean, if I, like, lost my grandparents to COVID, that might change, you know, my motivation to go out and, like, serve the public before a vaccine exists, or especially knowing that a lot of people just aren't getting it. It's so strange. I'm, I mean, personally... After having gotten the vaccine, I'm a lot more at ease. Um, I, I trust the science. I'm, I'm pretty confident in it that I'm really not that afraid of, you know, dying from it myself. But it's a non-zero chance that it could still happen.
1: Where I'm at, I've started masking up again, even though I'm vaccinated. Yeah. Because Kansas City hospitals are starting to see COVID cases again. Mm. And if they're <sighs> starting, we're going to see it rise.
0: Right. Um, are Do you know a percentage of those that are of vaccinated people versus unvaccinated or not? Uh, Not off the top of my head. I mean, I'm guessing the majority are non-vaccinated if they're being hospitalized, but that's a guess. Uh, I don't see. actually what, know
1: that. What's the CDC
2: say? Uh, does it have... Account. All right. Hospitalized
1: or fatal COVID 19 vaccine breakthrough cases reported to CDC as of July 12th.
0: Okay.
1: More than 159 million people have been fully vaccinated. During that same repor- time, CDC reports from 48 U.S. states and territories of 5,492 patients with COVID 19 vaccine breakthrough infections who were hospitalized or died.
2: There have been one thousand. Oh, there are one thousand
1: and sixty-three positive COVID cases with that are breakthrough infections, but the CDC has a note that says twenty-six of those were asymptomatic or not rec- related to COVID nineteen.
2: Huh.
1: So let's see. Uh, that'd be about just uh, eight hundred and nine. Fatal COVID Breakthrough cases So Being vaccinated Is not a guarantee
2: huh.
1: But it's A really strong Like That means that What did I say 863 And That is 159 million Um. That's one In 184,000 for every 884,000
2: vaccines there has been one breakthrough death.
0: Hmm. Um. So uh, I said that, that gets challenging cuz does that factor in all the people who weren't wouldn't have gotten covid? For lack of exposure or...
1: Right. It doesn't include exposure. That's just a, right. a, a very rudimentary metric.
0: It's a really hard thing to really know or, the details of, but...
1: That's a rate of 0.18 deaths per million people. So hmm. you're still safer getting a vaccine currently than you are flying in an aircraft.
2: Right.
0: Wow. It's crazy that that it's – COVID is 17 times more deadly than driving and being vaccinated is more effective at reducing that risk than flying. Like it's actually more exaggerated than that that, that dichotomy.
1: (laughs) If we knew the ratio of people exposed that were vaccinated
2: to deaths – Might be closer. This number would be higher. Right but I don't know how much, but it's certainly the case that
1: vaccines have reduced the rate of death compared to non-vaccinated people.
0: And I mean, that's pretty much the single handed most effective thing that you can do, right? To stop the spread is vaccinate. Yes. I mean, short of, you know, locking
2: yourself in a, uh, and In, into quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Isolation works. Right. Um, yeah. Like the the ship
1: that would have prevented the pandemic through herd immunity has kind of sailed at this point, unfortunately. Right. It, it's fairly safe to, I would put my money if I were a betting man would put my money on, there always being enough new variants that COVID will kind of be around like the flu
2: is. Yeah. Except 10 times deadlier. (sighs) Yeah. And that's just our new, that's the new normal.
0: Do you think Do you think that if uh, Trump had won the last election, yes, he lost, but had he won, (laughs) (laughs) do you think more, more conservatives might have gotten
2: vaccinated? Hmm.
0: Because he was really bragging about getting the vaccinated, you know, to the market um, he was really talking it up, you know, as, as his solution. I don't like, know. Like if he sold it as what you should do, I feel like that would have actually been something that both sides would have actually united on.
1: You know, possibly. And like another thing, like if I put Joe Biden in Trump's shoes, when the vac- when the coronavirus epidemic was starting. And, you know, they were just rolling out the vaccine distribution program. Uh I don't have any reason to really be certain that the execution of the vaccine rollout would have gone any better. Right. Like, the machinery required to do these kind of things on a national scale is just giant and complex. And in a Uh weird way, to a great degree... Leadership doesn't have a lot of say in that.
0: Yeah. But leadership does have a lot of influence over society. So had it been sold from the other camp, hell, that may have actually made him, at least in that regard, the better president.
1: (laughs) You know, I think that all things being equal, had Trump been a vaccine advocate— we would have less deaths.
0: I, I like had he not been a COVID
1: denialist and had the Republican media machine not downplayed the risk of infection.
0: Right. I think that we
1: would have less deaths.
0: Oh, he, I mean, he fumbled it from the beginning. So, you know, that is on him, uh, for seeding that to begin with. um, I feel like had he handled it differently, um, we probably would have had a lot better outcome just for the fact that, you know, there wouldn't have been as much vaccine hesitancy. Uh, But then again, had he handled it better, he may have actually won the election. We don't know that. I think that's like one of the major things that cost him the election was how he handled coronavirus.
1: Man, a lot of people didn't like Trump though.
0: I know a lot of people really really do. <laughs> I know. I feel like well, objectively, the number of people that do is a smaller number than the people that don't. Um I mean, that played out in the election. We have those numbers, but uh you know, for the for his camp as hardcore as they were or and still are, frankly, um in favor of him, had he Had he done a better job, I think that coronavirus could have been handled so much better and we would have had such a better outcome. I think that actually might have been significant.
1: I think that it wouldn't have been that significant because I think the coronavirus is, I think that underestimates the danger of the coronavirus. I think it would have mattered though.
0: Does that uh, overestimate the uh, power of the vaccine? Uh, no, I just mean
1: – no, I mean like just assuming the spread of COVID and the dangers right.
0: therein. Well, I mean I feel like up until the uh, the availability of the vaccine, um, it probably wouldn't have been that different. But at that point, just with so many people disregarding it or or not getting it, um, I I feel like now that would have a pretty substantial impact if you could just convince people <laughs> to get it.
1: Yeah, i probably, I'd agree with you there. I I
0: think that's
1: more likely than not.
0: Our governor in in Ohio, he's a Republican. Um, On most issues, I don't agree with his policies, but in his handling of uh, COVID, he's actually, I think he's actually done a fairly decent job of trying to follow the science and having a good, you know, staff advising him on that. and Ohio setting has a string
1: of governors that I, I loosely tolerate compared to other Republicans.
0: <laughs> right. Like, he, before him,
1: it was Kasich. Kasich, yeah. Yeah, man. If I could pick any Republican in the world to run in the White House, I'd pick him. Wait. Um, like.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: It's my understanding, like, Kasich's, like, believes in climate change. Right. And thinks that evolution's a thing.
0: And- right. I I just know that, like, with, like, you know, the anti-vaxxers and QAnoners and Trumpers, with DeWine's handling of coronavirus, you know, trying to be reasonable and actually, uh, you know, in one of his speeches, he used conservative thinking of personal responsibility, you know, just that that very basic concept of you are responsible for your actions that affect other people. It's a very you know traditional, conservative, uh, you know uh, concept of you wear a mask and you social distance because that's the responsible thing to do uh, for society, and and doing otherwise is being irresponsible. Um, And then, you know, getting the vaccine. He's actually had like a lottery uh, to try to convince people to to participate where you could win like a million dollars or something. And everybody on the right has basically turned on him. Um, I mean, they were calling him a socialist for that. I mean, it's like they don't even know what that word means. (laughs) No, they don't. It's basically everything that they they Associate with the Democrats or anything like that the was, Democrats support.
1: Who's that guy KF that argues on your page all the time? And he was all like, <laughs> "Socialism is the worst thing that ever happened." And his profile picture is a police car. That's
0: him. Yeah, it's him in front of a police car. Yeah, he's he's, he's uh he's a constable, so he's a non-elected. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, he's an elected police officer, so he can't technically be fired but that's socialism
1: that's a socialist <laughs> program now there's uh, there is a
0: a rig- depending on how you define it yeah a
1: rigorous definition of socialism where economic planning like the intention of economic planning is for
0: the group right or the you know basically the the workers owning the means of production kind of a thing and like
1: Everybody ultimately always ends up agreeing, except for, like, the the super hard right and the super hard left. Like, when intellectuals, you put them in a room and they're, you know, they're conservative or they're liberal uh-huh. and they duke it out. They always end up agreeing, like, there are some things that should be social programs and there are some uh-huh. things that are better man- managed by individual
2: uh, interaction. And that's just where, like, everybody reasonable lands.
0: Well, yeah, but unfortunately, most people aren't that reasonable or knowledgeable of really what they're talking about, especially with, uh, you know, a lot of political figures muddying the waters.
1: And it was like talking with Garrett. It's like they, they're because reason is only a facet of the decision making matrix that people use. Right. It's not just about reason. It's about relationships and how those decisions will impact the relationships that you have.
0: Well, and, you know, the available information. Um, I know a lot of conservative people who are actually really, you know, level-headed, reasonable people in most regards. Um, They do a lot of really smart things. Um, They're responsible, um, you know, generally well-rounded people. But their access to information, you know, the the bubble of information that they exist within is separate from mine. And so it's like we live in two different realities.
2: Yeah, be careful. You're flirting with idealism there.
0: Yeah.
1: Or relativism.
0: Yeah. Epistemological
1: relativism is a very popular t- explanation for truth. Yeah. I just got schooled on this by a guy on, on the internet, but it was okay. Cause I was actually <laughs> like, I don't understand this. Uh, he, the guy was nice enough to like, just talk me through like the nuances of th- like a pan non-cognitivist position on epistemology versus epistemological relativism versus objective truth. And what all those different things mean and how they relate to each other?
0: So, having not been schooled, I'm, I'm going to just kind of start off with, like, I think that there is an objective
2: truth. What is it?
0: Our access to that truth is another story. Like, knowing what that is, is completely different than, you know, the fact that it exists. But our understanding is, is all that we have, and our understanding is very often very flawed.
2: Well, is it your understanding that's brought you to this conclusion? Yeah. So this that's conclusion f- itself could be flawed.
0: I feel like I'm arguing all of a sudden with a uh, presuppositionalist. <laughs> <laughs> no it's
1: it's not like i think presuppositionalists are wrong because they assert that this objective knowledge is possible and i think that
2: when well, we use it a...
0: well, like we can't argue about well i guess we can we can argue about like the number of people who have died from covid or the fact that people have died from covid but i think that the fact of the matter, whether or not people have died from COVID and what that number is, those are objective facts, right? Uh,
1: that's what we call them. Yeah.
0: Um, whether we are aware of what those facts are or whether we disagree on them, you know, that's that's another issue. Uh, I, We may not really have a good understanding of those facts, but they remain nonetheless. yeah. I don't think that it's just my understanding that leads me to that. I, think that. I think that's a pretty justifiable conclusion. How
1: do you justify that?
0: Well, because it can't be the case that those facts are relative. Like, it can't be the case that people have both died and not died from COVID.
1: Um, setting aside my uh, attraction towards dialetheism,
2: um, that is true if you make some fu- assumptions
1: that your facts are correct and that you can rely on your senses to have told you the correct facts.
0: Uh, I'm, well, I'm not talking about my understanding of the facts. I'm, yeah, I'm just but, saying that. But
1: you don't ever get to access the objective reality. You have to say, assume.
0: I didn't say that, that it's you there,
1: care. right? And that's that's the point of uh, of s- some of these arguments is that you have to accept that your belief in objective reality is a pragmatic one. The reason that you believe right. in it is because it shows you shows that you have utility, right? But all through history. People have used that same formula to come up with things that seem to not comport with the facts that we see now.
0: I mean, I think if you account for the fact that you can be wrong about what those facts are, that's okay.
1: Right, but that could be true of the future, too. Right. There's nothing special about now and the objective reality that you believe in that lets you avoid that conclusion.
0: Right, but I'm also not claiming to have that access. Right? I'm I'm claiming that it exists doesn't mean that I'm claiming that I understand its existence.
2: But your belief that it exists is an understanding in and of itself. Right? But and that's the that's as far as you can be certain. Right.
1: And, that, and that, that's all the point. Like, I also, like, I think that there is an objective reality. It's before we, you know, get down on this. <laughs> like, I'm not, I, I'm not I an idealist.
0: A, right. And I, I think it's a reasonable assumption is kind of my point. I right, don't think it, that it's an unreasonable assumption.
1: It, it has predictive utility, and that's why we use it. In fact, ups, assuming that there is an objective reality seems to yield so much success— then assuming that reality you know just functions randomly
0: or is that you know, entirely subjective depending on who you know, like you know the idea that i have my own truth and you have your own truth and our truths can contradict each other and and that's fine uh you know my truth is my truth that that doesn't really have much utility there's a, a lot of problems with that for pretty obvious reasons
1: because ultimately It gets tested by this object that you have no control over. And one side or the other,
2: or sometimes both, will fail that test. But if both are different, and they get tested
1: by whatever outside entity we like to call objective reality, historically, reality continues to define
2: the direction of our choices rather than we define the direction of reality. Right. Like, you know, it's uh, ultimately I I I'm unconvinced like you are that there's
1: not this thing that exists like the cosmos, you know. And we don't know what it is. We only know that we have sensory experiences that are programmed to suit our intake and that have yielded results when interacting with whatever this reality is but it does seem like we interact with some object that tests our expectations
0: I, like i'm totally okay with the idea that you know just knowing how limited our perception of reality is that our perception of reality could be horribly flawed but relevant to our survival because it's really all that matters in evolution is just surviving so right. you know whatever you traits reproduce? are necessary <laughs> <laughs> right good on you well i haven't but uh i i, I i'm the result of reproduction so i mean it's a really sketchy time to be reproducing all will <laughs> but i mean i'm i'm totally okay with you know the idea that my perception of reality is flawed um but i still think that that reality exists regardless of my understanding of it um, in fact, that horribly flawed understanding of reality is, is I think, part of what you know goes into our horrible ability to assess risk and statistics, and you know, just we we don't have good concepts for things that we haven't really, you know, evolved or developed um, that was immediately relevant to our survival, you know, in our development. Um, You know, things like coronavirus, you know, for hundreds of thousands of years, you know, that concept may have not really been that relevant if we existed in, you know, 300-people tribes.
1: Yeah, it was smallpox. It was way worse.
0: I mean, for the vast majority of our existence, our reality was (laughs) (laughs) – our reality has been very different than it is right now. And we deal with, you know, numbers that we don't really like we don't really truly grasp how wealthy the wealthiest people in the world are. I don't think it's quite possible to fully really grasp that. That's a it's, really it's, big number. It's, it's
1: beyond big. It's, it's strange. Like because of the way that we live our lives and the way that we interact economically, we do not understand how economics behaves on that kind of scale.
0: I don't think we understand how a lot of things operate on that kind of scale, including diseases. Which is kind of what started this conversation.
1: Yeah. It's a weird world.
0: Humans are dumb, but smart, but really dumb.
1: Well, I think it's about that time.
0: Yeah, that that's was a, a, close to a fine, an hour. Close yeah, enough.
1: And ending on the truth that humans are awful stupid is very poignant
0: awful stupid but like we also have some good traits too we're, we're not like completely stupid and awful we're just yeah. partly we're complex it's, complex. it's complicated yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man what do i even title this one i don't know i'll figure it out
2: yeah i'm bad at it, evaluating things i don't
0: it's okay final thoughts for the for the for the week
1: no i think we 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 could probably actually just call it here cool all right well see what we come up with next time
0: yep until then thanks for joining us see you next time